0: Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Welcome back to the show. Apologies if the space heater in the background is a bit of a disturbance to you. I'd rather not freeze my toes off, you see. Anyway, it's December now, so I want to talk about different games I got for Christmas over the years for each week in December. I'm going to start off with one I got ten years ago. I'm going to talk about Sonic Colors. First, I want to go into a little bit of a... Well, I I guess it's the context behind Sonic Colors. And it all starts a few years before even that. 2006 is a year that will live on in infamy for Sonic the Hedgehog. One of the Blue Blur's worst games ever. It's still mocked to this day. And ever since it near ruined Sonic's reputation, Sega has tried harder and harder to restore Sonic to his early glory. Almost as if Sonic was having some kind of midlife crisis. Ever since Sonic Adventure, the games had tried to introduce more dramatic aspects. Sonic Adventure was lighthearted overall, but then you get Tikal's backstory, and then all of Gamma's campaign. Sonic Adventure 2 introduced Shadow the Hedgehog, and he brought angst into the series by the bucket load. It lasted him all the way from Sonic Adventure 2, through Sonic Heroes, and, of course, his own game. Then we get to Sonic 06, where a human princess could destroy the world and turn it into a fiery crater for 200 years, and Sonic literally dies and all of time collapses upon itself. We went from rescuing bunnies and robots by loop-de-loop hillsides to this. And, just to be clear, I'm mostly talking about the mainline Sonic franchise. I'm not talking about the Sonic Storybook series or Sonic Rush or Advance. Those games kind of ran the gamut of whimsical and melodramatic. I'm mostly focused on the core games. So, after Sonic 06, they went back to the drawing board and ostensibly went for a new approach, one that would shape most of the following games. Fewer main characters, or fewer characters overall. Stronger core gameplay that focuses on just one or two styles, not five cartoonier characters non-creepy Eggman design. Their next bold step was Sonic Unleashed, and it was a mixed bag. They just couldn't quite shake some of their bad habits, namely their need to introduce different gameplay styles that have no business being here. Sonic Unleashed had a daytime and nighttime system, where different stages were exclusive to the time of day, and while the daytime levels are almost universally praised for bringing back and even modernizing familiar Sonic gameplay, the night stages fell short. People enjoyed how the daytime stages emphasized Sonic speed, just moving as fast as possible, boosting all over the place with all kinds of pomp and flair, with the occasional platforming and even some flirting with 3D in the form of behind-the-back camera angles during certain sections. What they didn't like was playing as the werehog at night. It was a lot slower, the game turned into more of a beat 'em up Not really what people wanted at the time. In the end, people liked parts of Sonic Unleashed, and it could be considered a step in the right direction, but that's pretty easy to do when you're following Sonic 06. Either way, though, Sonic Unleashed wasn't the win that Sega needed. That would come next time. Sonic Colors for Nintendo Wii and Nintendo DS, but the Wii version is what most people remember. Imagine if Sonic Unleashed only had daytime levels. They do a bit more with it, too. They also streamline the hubs into a level-select screen on a world map. But the big change in the game, the one responsible for the title, is the fact that Sonic has color-based power-ups. Technically, he's had power-ups before, like the different shields and the invincibility, but these powers are a lot flashier and change the gameplay in a number of minor ways. Sonic frees the colorful wisps, little aliens that Eggman is using to power his theme park that's secretly a mind control cannon. And each wisp grants a different ability based off what color it is. The white wisps are generic, they fill a meter that allows you to boost more. Cyan turns you into a laser for a second or two, letting you go as fast as light. Yellow turns you into a drill to do what drills do. Orange turns you into a rocket for verticality. Green lets you hover, which is like the rocket, but it's good for more precarious ascents, and you can move along trails of rings. Blue turns you into a cube, while also turning certain blue rings into cubes themselves, creating platforms. Think of it as the P-Switch from Mario. Pink turns you into a spikier ball than usual, letting you climb along walls and ceilings. Purple is the Frenzy power-up, and in lore, these are Wisps that Eggman has corrupted, but in gameplay, they're basically the same as everyone else. They let Sonic turn into a rampaging mouth monster that tears up anything in its way. Blue, green, pink, and purple are exclusive to the Wii game, but in the DS version, you get red and violet. Red Wisps give you the power of burst, you become a fireball. Violet Wisps give you void, which turns Sonic into a black hole. I never played the DS game, so I don't know the meaning of these. Due to Sonic's recent string of overwhelming gimmicks, it was pretty easy to imagine that the Wisps would ruin this game, but no, they're a very natural addition, and I think one of the reasons for that is because they're pretty subtle. Not to say they're easy to miss or that the game would be the same without them, but they don't take over the entire game, they just mix up the gameplay for a very short burst of time in a level before you go back to doing Sonic things. Because the Wisp power-ups are on a time limit, you can only do so much with them before you go back to doing Sonic things, too. Compare this to spending an entire level searching for Master Emerald Shards, or fishing, or trying to use a sword, or... Anything related to the Werehog. Less is more. For the plot, Eggman has built an entire interplanetary theme park off-screen. He's chained together a bunch of dwarf planets with the intention of using them all as attractions for the park. And as much as Eggman's intercom announcements would like you to believe otherwise, this is a ruse so we can build that mind control ray that I described a little bit ago. Of course, he does this by harnessing the power of the Wisps. Starting a new game, you're thrown right into the first level. Then the second level. Then we get to the introduction of Sonic and Tails and what they're up to. I don't have a strong hatred for prologues and establishing cutscenes, but I can appreciate when a game is willing to get you right into the action. And the plot never really gets any more complicated than that. Sonic and Tails are sneaking into the park before it opens so they can investigate Eggman's evil scheme. That's it. The only real twist I can think of is that with the destruction of the World 1 boss, a piece of it gets stuck in the mind control cannon which ends up ruining Eggman's plan in the end, turning it into a big black hole that you need to escape. So for most of the game you've already thwarted Eggman's plan but neither side recognizes it yet. I wouldn't say that the rest of the game is redundant though because Sonic still spends all that time freeing the different species of wisps, but But this game is very intentionally silly, and it's going for that whole Saturday morning feel. Another thing that this game does is that it cuts back on the amount of characters. The Wisps are a brand new race, but they exist to power Sonic up, and that's about it. Even Yakker, the main Wisp, doesn't really have much characterization. No, you just have Sonic, Tails, Eggman, Orbot, and Cubot. That's it. Orbot is a reimagining of Eggman's little robot assistant from Sonic Unleashed. Cubot is brand new to Sonic Colors, and he's a foil to Eggman and Orbot, finally giving the video game version of Eggman his own duo of robots, just like in the cartoons. The DS game features a lot more of the Sonic mainstays, but again, never played that one. The conflict of the game is just a simple tale of Sonic vs. Eggman. No ancient entities, no mysterious doppelgangers, no new characters, period, other than Cubot, Less is more, again. This game marked a change in voice actors to the series as well, at least for the English version. Starting with Shadow the Hedgehog, they dropped the actors that they used in the Adventures and Heroes games in favor of the 4Kids actors... And this was actually right before they did the show, too. Though I don't know how the timing on their end works. Maybe they were already doing the show. But anyway, it was with this game and Sonic Free Riders that the Sonic cast were replaced. With the notable exception of Mike Pollock as Dr. Eggman, he's still here from the four kids era because Sega rightfully realized that nobody else could do Eggman like he could. As for Sonic and Tails, well, Tails was voiced by Kate Higgins in this game, though now he's voiced by Colleen O'Shaughnessy, and that's been the case for a few years. Sonic's new actor is Roger Craig Smith, who voices him to this day. Some people miss Jason Griffith's take on the character, and I can see it. He was a little awkward at first, but he really got into the role as time went on. Just compare his performance in 06 with Black Knight, and you can tell that he's really improved. Roger takes Sonic in a different direction, though. He still sounds like a heroic guy, but he has a lot of the sass and snark that Sonic first became famous for. Jason didn't really add that aspect to his performance. So I will say that Jason was the better Shadow. Like Kirk Thornton, he's a great actor, and he he's gotten better at Shadow as time goes on, but I, I still kind of miss the Jason Griffith Shadow. So I got Sonic Colors ten years ago when it was still new. Heard rave reviews like, Wow, it's a good Sonic game! I can't believe it! So of course I took an interest. I'd been aware of Sonic's flailing and failing reputation for a while by this point. And sure enough, I had a blast. Certain levels really wore me down, and even on a replay only four years ago, some of those levels still gave me trouble. I think Aquarium Park tends to be where I died the most across both playthroughs. But the game's got teeth, so if you want a little bit of tricky platforming, there you go. Speaking of Aquarium Park, each of the miniature planets serves as different worlds of the game. There are seven in total, and after you complete the first three, worlds four to six unlock all at once, and you can complete them in any order before unlocking world seven. story's pretty light, like I said. It's not like you're getting jigsaw pieces of Eggman's plan or drastically altering the course of events by picking what world you visit next. Well... I guess you are kind of getting a jigsaw piece, but it's nothing really amazing. It's all neat, though. I just think they could have done a bit more to leave the game open-ended, but it's fine for what it is. Sonic Colors was a breath of fresh air that the series really needed at the time. At the time. In the following years, fans have soured on Colors a bit, which is kind of a shame, in my opinion. The next main game was Sonic Generations, and it seemed like they wanted to capitalize on the good press and gameplay of Colors, and it paid off. It did lack the Wisps, except for in the Sonic Colors-themed level, but otherwise the game was a hit, and some people would even call it better. Then we get to Sonic Lost World and Sonic Forces. Those are the next two 3D games developed by the main Sonic team. People are starting to miss playing as the other characters, The games being so silly all the time was starting to wear thin. The reliance on Eggman as a final boss was starting to get a little stale. It looked like the team hadn't been able to move on from Sonic Colors, almost like Colors and Generations were a fluke, and they wanted to try to remember what went right for those games. They even brought Wisps back for no discernible reason, other than thinking people would like to use more of them. The Wisps in Lost World were very awkward to control, The Wisps and Forces were actually wispons, Wisp Weapons, hence the name, that the Avatar character uses, and they are so overpowered that they break the game's difficulty over their knee. So while Sonic Colors revitalized the Sonic series, it looks like it ended up only being a bandage, which is a shame. I still like Colors for what it was, though, and it got me to pay more attention to the Sonic series. I just kind of watched it from the side, and while I didn't really start paying attention to Sonic until a few years later, Sonic Colors definitely got my foot in the door with the Sonic games, and I appreciate it for that. My favorite songs of Sonic Colors is a little hard to pin down. There's no shortage of good music, but... One of the songs are just at about equal level for me. Reach for the Stars, the main theme of the game by Cash Cash. That's a pretty fun, cheery song. I can't complain about that one. I do like the boss theme of World 1. It's versus Rotatron and Refreshinator. Those are the names, the bosses that use that theme, and I really have to wonder what they were thinking when they named that one. I don't know. Aquarium Park is good, energetic, and has kind of vaguely Japanese feel to it to match the aesthetic, but I also like the hard rock of Asteroid Coaster. Planet wisp has got that piano going for it. Uh, I don't know. A lot of, a lot of good music. Just... The game really, more than a lot of Sonic games, I think, has this feeling of whimsy to it that just, it makes me happy. I I just look back at Sonic Colors and I go, yeah, yeah, that's pleasant and wholesome. So, that's all I have to say about Sonic Colors. a little bit of a short episode this week, but that kind of fits Sonic Colors, I think. I'll be back next week to talk about a different game though. But thank you for taking the time to listen to this. I will see you on the next one. Listen to Bitcast anytime on podcast1.com and on the Podcast 1 app.